Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. Thanks for tuning in this week. As we approach the end of Season 1, I've decided to break this episode up into two parts. With Halloween only one week away, I've also decided to do something slightly spooky that I wouldn't normally do any other time. To begin, this episode won't be nearly as serious as previous episodes due to the content that will be provided this week. We're going to be discussing a space-based virus that could potentially infect humans here on Earth. There are several methods of travel these space-based microbes could take such as hitching a ride on a return module from the International Space Station, or even via a meteorite as it slams through the Earth's atmosphere. The method of delivery for this episode won't really be the main focus, as I really want to provide you the best quality episode for Halloween, which means carnage. In reality, it's very rare to maybe even impossible that a space-based virus could survive re-entry on either a return module or even a meteorite. At temperatures recorded at more than 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, I'm very skeptical that this could happen. But hell, we've seen crazier shit in the last nearly two years that this COVID pandemic has been occurring. It's possible that these intergalactic microbes could have evolved to withstand the harsh environment of space to include intense temperature variations. In fact, there are several viruses that thrive in extreme conditions here on Earth. While nowhere near 3000 degrees Fahrenheit, this proves that microbes can evolve to withstand the environments that they are exposed to. Humans have traversed very little of our known solar system, so to say that microbes cannot survive extreme conditions would be pure hypocrisy, as we simply don't know. As humans look toward the horizon, we must be prepared to deal with a space-based virus that could spread faster and cause far more harm than anything here on Earth. Viruses here on Earth are the most numerous entities, and outnumber the number of known stars in our universe. According to National Geographic, an estimated 10 nonillion, that is 10 to the 31st power, Individual viruses exist on our planet, enough to assign one to every star in the universe 100 million times over. Thanks to our ever-adapting immune system, humans can survive relatively free from illness here on the planet. Now as humans aim their eyes toward the stars, we must prepare for the inevitability that astronauts will encounter space-based microbes that our bodies have never encountered. As long as humans have traversed the outer reaches, we have always been fascinated with the prospect of life on other worlds. While we have yet to discover sentient beings, astronauts have discovered microbes in the vacuum of space. Generally classified as extremophiles, these microbes can survive and sometimes even thrive in the harshness that is space. Tardigrades, for example, have been discovered in the vacuum of space and is one of the only organisms that humans are currently aware of that can survive nearly every extreme condition here on Earth. Tardigrades are able to survive in extreme heat, cold, and even highly radioactive environments. 
Another intriguing fact about these organisms is that they are able to stop their metabolisms and exist in a state known as cryptobiosis, where all metabolic processes halt. Thus, it's truly unknown what a lifespan of tardigrades are. For example, one tardigrade was discovered in an ice sheet from 2,000 years ago and began its metabolic processes once again. The fact that there are organisms like that here on Earth that can survive in the most harshest of conditions proves that there has to be similar, if not stronger, organisms that exist in our solar system. NASA has experimented with sending viruses such as Salmonella into orbit to study the effects. While only a short-term test, the results showed that Salmonella became more virulent once transported back here to Earth. Another article published by National Geographic proves that under the right conditions in space, Viruses can increase in virulence, growth, size, metabolism, antimicrobial resistance, and other characteristics. These experiments done in both space and in simulated microgravity tested well-known microbes such as E. coli, Yersinia pestis, Streptococcus mutans, Staphylococcus aureus, Bacillus subtilis, and Candina albicans, the fungus responsible for yeast infections. Some of these studies suggest that other microbes might become more virulent in microgravity, while others point to the opposite or no response. The possibility of space-borne viruses is there and is an ever-present danger that astronauts must come to expect when walking on distant worlds with its own unknown microbiome. If carried back here to Earth, the consequences could be catastrophic, especially if it is an organism that we have yet to identify and understand its genetic makeup. Without understanding the basic composition of these galactic microbes, it is unknown exactly what a virus would look like. However, for the purposes of our episode this week, we're going to use the filovirus genera. This family of viruses contains some of the deadliest known viruses commonly known to humans as viral hemorrhagic fevers. According to the National Institutes of Health, filoviruses cause outbreaks which lead to high fatality in humans and non-human primates, thus tagging them as major threats to public health and species conservation. Viral hemorrhagic fevers are RNA viruses, meaning that they can evolve at an increasingly quick rate over time. This is the reason that I've chosen to use viral hemorrhagic fevers as the example for a space-borne virus landing here on Earth. These viruses are able to easily adapt to their environment and can quickly disrupt the body's natural processes, which leads to a prolonged and painful suffering, something that an unknown microbe could do to us here on Earth. Suppose an alien virus landed here on Earth. What should we expect? Would our immune systems identify the foreign invader and fight it off, or would we fall victim? Would foreign microbes contain the antigens that our immune systems need to identify and begin producing antibodies to fight off the invader? It's simply unknown, as this isn't something that we have encountered before. However, I will go out on a limb here and assume that the answer is no. One of the biggest risks that medical professionals experience with viruses that we do have knowledge about is their ability to evolve and resist certain antibiotic treatments. According to the Centers for Disease Control, more than 2.8 million antibiotic-resistant infections occur in the U.S. each year, and more than 35,000 people die as a result. In addition, 223,900 cases of Clostridioides difficile occurred in 2017, and at least 12,800 people died. If microbes here on Earth are able to adapt and resist treatments and medications, it's safe to assume the same could be witnessed from a space-borne microbe. Since we're breaking this episode up into two parts for the season finale this week, I decided to create a much larger scenario that goes into further depth about the socio-economic impacts of this particular scenario. As with any episode, any further information following this statement is purely theoretical in nature and is not occurring currently. On a beautiful night sometime in the near future, a meteorite is witnessed screaming through the atmosphere. Astronomers are puzzled as this meteorite wasn't identified by any satellite or radar stations monitoring this part of the sky. 
The meteorite impacts approximately 26 miles to the southeast of Bloomington, Indiana, in the small town of Maumee. A fire is reported at a barn on North County Road 1190 West, and volunteer firefighters rush to the scene to see that the barn is completely ablaze. The only thing that firefighters can accomplish here is preventing the surrounding grass from catching fire. As the fire gradually subsides, a large metallic object is seen sitting at the center of the barn, smoldering with large pockmarks across the entire object. Without knowing exactly what the object is, the firefighters begin touching and taking pictures of the large object, with some even going in close to smell it. What they don't know is that all of them have just been infected with an extremely pathogenic spaceborne virus that mimics that of a viral hemorrhagic fever. What they don't realize is that in less than 48 hours, every firefighter that has responded to this incident will be dead and have infected their immediate family members. The virus continues to spread quickly and quietly. Doctors are puzzled by this virus because while it mimics a viral hemorrhagic fever, none of those infected have reported travels to a part of the world where this virus is currently transmitted. Even more concerning is the rate at which the virus travels through the body and causes the body to begin disrupting its own processes. After 12 hours of contracting this unknown virus, a high-grade fever develops as well as swollen lymph nodes all throughout the body, indicating that an infection is attacking the body. As the body continues to attempt to fight the virus, the infected begin to bruise all over their bodies, indicating that internal trauma is occurring. After 24 hours, the infected are bleeding from nearly every orifice and has fallen mostly unconscious at this point. As the virus destroys the rest of the body, the fever grows even more and begins damaging the brain and leads to a coma. By this point, doctors have tried nearly every interventional technique to include an ECMO machine with no luck. Even placing the infected on mechanical respirators doesn't ease the stress on the body as the immune system has now been taught to attack the breathing tube that has been placed in the esophagus, leading to a quick death. Nearly a week after the meteorite crashed to Earth, the entire state of Indiana has declared a state of emergency and has requested any help that can be offered. National Guard troops are activated and field hospitals are erected in shopping center parking lots, sports stadiums, and at airports. All forms of travel have basically halted at this point and airplanes sit on the tarmac waiting for a day when they can once again return to the skies. Scientists are finally able to isolate the microbe that is causing the virus only to discover a hardened layer that is resistant to nearly all antibiotics on the planet. After nearly a month of investigation, several more states in the United States have declared a state of emergency to include Ohio, Missouri, Illinois, and Kentucky. Nearly 10,000 have died by this point with seemingly no end in sight. Those lucky enough to live far away from major cities and towns are able to avoid the virus and quietly survive. Scientists estimate that it could take nearly a year to crack the microbe to learn its genetic structure to begin developing a vaccine. Large cities such as Chicago, Paducah, Indianapolis, and St. Louis are little ghost towns littered with death as hospitals have quickly become overwhelmed and unable to deal with such a virus. Body bags litter the loading docks of these facilities, and National Guard soldiers load them into the rear of LMTVs to be transported to their final destination. Unable to cremate the dead due to fears that doing so could lead to increased transmission, the bodies are buried in locations once home to celebration and joy. Stadiums now house the dead as the world continues to race to sequence the microbe and learn of its genetic makeup. This is where we will break for part one. Please tune in next week to learn the outcome of the human race. For those who have stuck with me through the journey that is the first season of my podcast, I thank you. While still small, I believe that one day we will top the charts and be able to provide access to educational resources for those who may not know enough about disasters. In Season 2, we're going to do things a bit differently that not only increases the quality of the episodes, but allows for more ways for the audience to become involved. I plan on starting a Patreon. For those who choose to donate, a portion of those donations will go to a charity of your choice.
Please, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to my other social media accounts. I'm on Instagram at destination period disaster, Twitter at dest underscore disaster, that is D-E-S-T underscore D-I-S-A-S-T-E-R, and on TikTok at destination disaster podcast. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,